What's up, guys? I'm going to rearrange furniture for just a minute. Hey, if you've got your Bible, uh, go ahead and open up. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6 this morning. I would also ask you just to put a thumb in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 and 2. We're going we're gonna to reference that real quick. But uh, we're continuing this morning in our series in the book of Mark, which uh, we're basically posing the question for the last quite a few weeks and the weeks to come is that the, the premise statement in Mark chapter 1 was that the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, Like the kingdom of God is here, it is with us, it is in our midst. And so we've been posing the question of, with that being the case, how are we actually called uh, and invited to live into that presence of God? How are we actually called to partake and and to be a part of the kingdom of God that is at hand? And so we've been looking at uh, stories, and we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus, and we've been looking at the lives of the disciples to grab this picture for us, for us to then apply to help answer that question. How am I in my day-to-day life called to actually live into God's kingdom? What part on the team do I have to play? Where is uh, the peace that, that I get to be a part of? And so we're going to continue this morning looking in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 6. I want to pray for us one more time, <clears throat> then we'll jump in. Father, we, we are so expectant. Holy Spirit, we are just asking that you will fill this place and take over. God, your scripture needs nothing added to it. Your scripture needs nothing done to make it more impactful and to speak. And so I yield to that, God, and ask that you will truly speak through me. God, that what you want said for us this morning uh, will be said, and nothing else and nothing, uh, nothing less. God, we need you. We're asking you to change us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As I started studying through this passage the last couple weeks, it began to, uh, a combination of the passage itself, but also some of the things that have just been stirring uh, in my own spirit, started creating inside uh, just these, the, the, the thought and the realization that uh, as believers, as followers of Jesus, or maybe non-followers of Jesus, we have been led to believe that for us to be used by God, for us to have any real impact in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God at hand, for us to play into that, that we have got to somehow become these polished, perfect individuals that only Jesus would use. We, We have allowed inside the church for this underlying basis of religion to creep inside of the design that God made for a relationship. And because of that religion that's come in, it has begun to feed us these lies that the only way Jesus would ever use me is if I looked a certain way. Right? Like the only way Jesus could really ever have uh, or use me to have any kind of impact is if I have a certain kind of pedigree from my family or if I'm smart enough or I've, I've gone to a certain school or, or if I have all of the right words. And so we have created somewhere between the pages of this book and the lives we live, we've created this perfect Christian that, that we have fallen into this lie that only if I looked that way could Jesus really use me. Right, like only, only, and if only when I get it all figured out, and only when my seminary degree comes in, and only if I didn't have a stutter, and if only if I wasn't afraid to, to speak in front of people, only then when I've created this persona that the church has created for us, then God can use me. 
And so maybe as a non-follower of Jesus, the hesitancy to even say yes and surrender is that I've seen this, the church create this perfect Christian, and when I look at them and when I hear the stories of that perfect Christian, then I could never live up to that. Right, like, like my life is too stained, like I've got too much of a past, there's too many things that, that I've done that would discredit me from ever actually being able to be used by Jesus, and so because religion has crept in and stained, and it has caused hurt, and it has caused pain, it, it creates this divide that, that says, yeah, God could never use me, so why would I ever repent and surrender to him in the first place? And maybe for those of us that have said yes to Jesus and, and do follow Jesus, we have uh, still seen this picture, right? We've created this image. And so on our good days when we're waking up and sometimes we're spending time in prayer and sometimes we're spending time in the Word and sometimes we're going to church, like when we feel like we're doing a pretty good job, that perfect Christian can kind of puff us up with pride and make us think that we're just killing it. Right, like the church has said, man, that's the guy or that's the woman that, that, man, Jesus will use them. And so we feel like we're checking our boxes and it's like, man, I'm doing a pretty good job. And then there's times where we may be falling a little bit short or it feels like we're failing or we're falling away altogether. And because of that persona, it just discourages us away from the presence of Abba altogether. And, and so we pick up this book because we have created this narrative in our mind, we pick this book up and it's like, I, I know who Jesus would use. I've figured out who God would use. Surely he'll pick the polished. Surely he would use the perfect. Surely Jesus will use the ones who are well with speech and they're eloquent in the way that they dress and they have a good job and they've got the white picket fence family and, and we, we somehow have disconnected what Jesus uses or who Jesus uses in Scripture and what he invites us into because of this persona. And we assume we've got it figured out that only Jesus would use so on and, and so forth. And what we'll actually begin to see and what we have seen even in the last couple weeks is that Jesus doesn't seem to, to use the ones who are, are well-polished and well-put-together. Like, like we were reading about the disciples, and we're going to see in a couple stories today that the people Jesus chooses are the ones that are a mess, right? They're, 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 a, they're a chaotic bunch. They don't have it figured out, right? Like, like we're going to see even today, like we're going to swing from one far end of like being full of the abilities and the supernatural giftings of God, and then within a couple verses, they are losing it. They're losing their mind. They don't have a clue what's going on, and Jesus is constantly having to remind them. And religion has created, again, this person that only that person could be used by Jesus. And yet we open up this scripture and we'll even read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting out in verse 26. It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. 
And we see that this is who the disciples were. This is who Jesus chooses to use. He doesn't choose to use the ones who think they've got it all figured out, but rather, as Paul will even write, and as we'll read here in a few minutes, the invitation from Jesus is, I don't need you to have it all figured out. He says, I've chose the lowly ones. I've chose the weak ones. I've chose the ones who are humble enough and don't feel like they have to have it all figured out together. And at times we can feel like to come to Jesus, we've got to make our bed and we've got to get cleaned up and we've got to straighten our tie long before Jesus would ever give us any kind of ear to be with him. And yet Paul will write, and as we'll see here in a minute with the disciples, is that that's not necessarily who Jesus wants to use. That's not necessarily the uh, pre, uh, pre-qualifications to be used by Jesus. And so we'll pick up our story in Mark this morning, in Mark chapter 6. I want to read, starting out in verse 7. Jesus, calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, the disciples, they went out and they preached that people should repent. I'd underline that word. They drove out many demons and they anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Jesus takes these guys who are nobodies. They're fishermen. They're young kids. They don't have a pedigree of a family line of noble birth and worthiness to follow the king. They're tax collectors. They're hated. They're nomads. They're zealots. They are a ragtag bunch of group. They're kind of the the bottom raked up Uh, the the bottom scum, if you will, in society off of the bottom of the lake, like they weren't the first picked ones. And Jesus said, hey, if you guys will come with me, if you guys will walk with me, if you guys will follow me, I will send you out to do that in which you could never imagine on your own. And so we see Jesus, he starts out here and and he calls them by name. He calls them to himself and he says, don't take anything with you. You don't need anything extra. You don't need to try to pad your pockets for the way. You don't need to try to equip yourself with what you think you need for the journey. Just trust me and go. And it says Jesus equips them and he sends them out and they begin to do the miraculous. They begin to do things that, that, that probably as they're laying hands on people and as they're praying for demons to be cast out and as they are teaching the good news of Jesus, they are doing things that they could never have imagined. And it says that they went out and they preached that people should repent. And if you remember from our first week, the word repentance, it's it's this Greek term that was uh, this military term that literally meant a soldier to be walking in one direction and then on a dime turning around and walking the other. And it's this idea in the faith that there is a time when we were born, we are not bent towards holiness, but we are bent towards sinfulness. Right? Like it, when we are born into this broken world, we don't have this natural bent to glorify God, but we have a natural bent for selfishness and for self-gratification and, and, and for sinful things. 
And, and so the, the disciples, they go out and they begin to preach. Like, it, it's not complicated. Here's this Jesus guy. Here's who he is. Here's what I've seen him do. Here's what he has done for me. And the invitation is like, guys, we have been walking this way in separation from God, and we are preaching to repent, meaning we are turning away. We are facing the other direction from that in which we've lived to start pressing in and pursuing a life of holiness. And in 1 Corinthians 2, again, Paul will continue to write in chapter 2, Paul says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, that when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Full, full of the power of God, these disciples went out, told, don't take anything extra. You don't need anything on your journey. If you will trust me, if you will be faithful, I, I don't need you to polish yourself up before, but if you will go and trust in faith, it says that the Spirit of God, the power of God went forth and did the miraculous, not with eloquence, not with fancy, fancy language. They didn't go out and try to trick the people into following Jesus, but they went out and preached the simplicity of the good news of the gospel of Jesus, which was this is who he is. This is what he's done. This is what I've seen him do to transform my own life. And the call is to walk away from the sinful life that we once lived, the sinful life that has kept us in separation from God, and in doing so, step in and begin to walk towards a life that is abundant of joy, abundant of grace, abundant of forgiveness. And it says the disciples went out and began to preach and to teach these things. If you're taking notes this morning, we'll throw these up on the screen. But the number one, uh, the first point this morning is this, is that Jesus does not need you to be polished and perfect. He just needs you to be willing. He doesn't need you to have it all figured out before you go. He doesn't need you to come with eloquence. He doesn't need you to come uh, fixed up and proper. He doesn't need you to be religious to have an impact. He needs you to be willing. The invitation is not that I have to do something extra for God to use me, but rather if I am willing, if I am able, if I will say yes to the invitation, trusting that I don't have to take more with me, but Jesus sent them out with nothing, and yet they came back and reported that they were able to do everything. The call is that we just need to be willing because God can do a lot with a little bit. We pick up this story in verse 30, God can do a lot with a little bit. Verse 30 says that the apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is the remote place, they said to Jesus, and it's already very late. 
Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. They said, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, the disciples, they came back and said, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to all have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of the broken pieces of bread and fish and the number of men who had eaten that day was 5,000. Jesus had just sent his disciples off. And we open up this next passage and says that they all came back telling Jesus all that they had done. And I imagine just this picture almost of these little kids running up to their dad at the end of the day. And they're like, Dad, here's all the stuff that we did. Here's all the things that we accomplished. Here's what I did in school today. Here's what I did at my ball game today. Like it, it, it creates this emotion of the disciples saying, Jesus, look at all that we did. Like you sent us out and we did it and we healed people and we cast out demons and people are, are following you now because of what you allowed us to do. And I can just imagine Jesus being so proud of his kids. Imagine Jesus being proud of his, his baby boys of like, man, I'm so proud of you guys. Man, I'm so proud of your, your faith. You went and you did it and they come back and they're excited and they're tired and Jesus says, let's, let's go off and find a place to rest. And in their pursuit to find a little bit of rest, it says that the people in the surrounding town saw them get in the boat, and they knew where they were going. It says the masses took off running and ran on foot as fast as they could to get to the other side before the disciples got there. And it says when Jesus and the disciples get off the boat, that there's, it says 5,000 men, but we can assume with women and children, we're talking probably eight, nine, ten plus thousand people are there wanting and wanting to hear from Jesus and see Jesus and be healed by Jesus. And it says that as Jesus sees them, he looks at them and he has compassion on them. He begins to teach them and he begins to love on these people. And, and so then we get this picture of the disciples then, they, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you, you obviously don't know what's going on, you obviously are a little out of touch with where we are and what time of the day it is, but these people, there are, first off, tons of them, second of all, we're in a remote place, uh, third off, we have nothing to eat, like they have been here all day, they've been listening to you all day, like what you're preaching is pretty good and what you're, you're telling them is pretty good, but you need to send these people off to get something to eat. And I love, like, they, I, I can just imagine, like, they're coming off of being fully equipped with the Spirit of God to do the miraculous, and they come back and they're like, surely, Jesus, we need to remind you who you are and who we are and what's actually going on here, right? They, they, there's still probably this hangover from the power trip that they've been on to say, Jesus, let us help you out and help figure out this situation. And, and the disciples begin to tell Jesus, here, here's what we need to do, here's what's best, here's the plan that we need to put in place. And in verse, again, 35 and 36, the disciples said, it's late in the day. Send them off. Go get something to eat. And in this moment, Jesus surprises them a little bit, and he says what? Verse 37, he says, you give them something to eat. <laughs> you feed them. Like, disciples, don't you, don't you remember, like, you just got back telling me all that you had done. Like, I just sent you out with nothing, 
And you came back reporting that, that, that you were able to be a part of the veil between heaven and earth, getting a little bit closer. Like, you just went out with nothing, came back, reported all that you had done. You feed them. And what do the disciples say? They said, we can't. We don't have enough. Uh, how could we possibly feed these people? There is too many people here. There is too much to be done, and we have not been given enough. How could we possibly feed these people? I, I, like, I realize, yeah, we, we just got back being sent out with nothing and being equipped to do everything, but that was then. This is now. We can't. I don't have enough. We have nothing to offer these people. And as I read through this over the last couple of weeks, I thought, how many of us have ever gotten to a place to say, Jesus, what you're asking me to do is just too much. I don't have enough. You're asking too much of me. I know you showed up then. I know you worked some miracles back in my life then. But what you're asking of me right now is new. It's a new day. It's a new month. It's a new season. I can't. You haven't given me enough. I have nothing to offer your people. I have nothing to give my family. I have nothing to pour into my marriage again. I have nothing to offer my kids. I have nothing to pour into my job, even in my relationship with you, Jesus. I have nothing because you haven't given me enough. And even just to be, man, I want to be transparent with you guys this morning. The last three weeks for me personally have been some of the greatest all around, every aspect of my life, spiritual warfare I feel like I've been in. Uh, in a long time. Uh, we, we have had attacks on my home. Um, my little boy even waking up in the middle of the night and in the morning and just like fear, just like afraid as he sleeps. And he usually sleeps through the night, but, but waking up and hearing him uh, unsettled. And he wakes up in the morning talking about he was just scared last night and, and just this fear within our home. And spending time anointing even our house with oil and praying over it and just praying against any spirit of fear that would be trying to disrupt the innocence of my kids. In the same time, the last three weeks have been the sickest I've ever been. I ended up in the emergency room and spent the night in the hospital last week. Even, um, man, and just a, a, a huge pat on the back to Brandon. Last night at about 7.45, I didn't know if I was going to have enough strength to even teach this morning. I was texting Brandon. I said, man, I don't know. I am sick as a dog. I am laid up in bed. I, this sickness just keeps coming and slamming my body and wearing me out, and I just don't know. And man, bless his heart, Brandon said, man, I was up till 1.30 last night just cramming for a test just in case. Uh, praise the Lord, you're good. But I was like, I don't know, man. I feel like my body is just under attack. In addition to that, spiritually, I felt like the last couple weeks that I have been just stripped of, uh, of just any anointing, of any equipping of the Holy Spirit, like feeling like even in my relationship with the Lord, like kind of being pushed to the side. And, and I'm like, Lord, like I'm dead. My soul is aching. My body is broken. There is warfare going on in my house. Like I, I don't have anything to give. And now I feel like I'm petitioning you and I'm praying and I'm asking you to intercede. And I feel like a, a little bit like David. Well, David will write in the psalm, like, God, where have you gone? Like, where are you? I feel like I am begging for some intercession here, and I feel like I am, I am getting nowhere. And, and I remember laying in my closet floor a couple days ago, 
And I was just laid out, and I was praying, and I was meditating even on this passage, and I was like, God, not only do I feel like I don't have a couple pieces of bread and fish, but I feel like I have maybe at best a cup of water, and I'm being asked to use that to somehow feed and supply, whether that is my family, whether that is my own relationship with you, whether that is in preparation to even teach this morning. I said, God, I feel like I have absolutely nothing to give you. I feel like I am empty. I feel like I am dry. I feel like my soul, my body physically is just, it is just, it's tapping out. And I think for so many of us, there's been seasons of life or maybe even a season of life right now, you're like, God, I just don't have what it takes. I just don't have enough. I feel like you are asking things of me that I just, I, I can't see how you could possibly use me or do something through me because you've just given me a couple pieces of bread and two small fish. And I know you've done things in the past, but all I can see is the multitude in front of me. All I can see is the task in front of me, and that hinders me from being able to remember what you've done in the past. And we look at our, uh, our, the, the, the little bit that we have, and we feel like our inadequacies, and we say, God, I can't do it. The second thing this morning is that Jesus can do a lot with a little bit. You may feel like you have nothing to offer, nothing of value, and nothing of substance, but yet Jesus can take a snack and turn it into a feast. That in these seasons, I believe the encouragement for us is don't allow Satan to try to tell you that what you've been given is not enough. Don't allow Satan to try to tell you that, that what you've been asked to do and the places where you've been called to step into, don't allow Satan to try to tell you, like, I, I don't have what it takes. You cannot use me. God can't use me. I, I don't have this pedigree. I, I'm not good with my words. I, I'm fearful in front of people. I don't have great opportunities. And, and Satan can try to suppress you and pin you down and tell you, you can't do it. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to accept these lies from Satan that tries to say, you don't have enough to feed God's people. You don't have enough to place into the kingdom of God. You, you don't have enough. And yet what we see in this reminder of Jesus is that he, he takes the little bit, and it says that he takes it and he looks up to heaven and he gives thanks for it. And once he gives thanks for it, he gives it back to the disciples for them to distribute, to feed, and to satisfy the masses. When Satan tries to tell you, you don't have enough, you can't do it, what you have doesn't make sense. Recognizing that the invitation from Jesus for us today is, you're right, you don't have enough. You're right, you could never fully feed and satisfy. You're right, you do not have what it takes. But if you will trust me, if you will give thanks for the little bit that you do have, give it back to me, let me equip you back with it again, I can feed the masses. I can multiply. I am not a God who is constrained to the five loaves and the two fish, but I am a God who can take the minimal and multiply it. And in these seasons where we feel like I just don't have what it takes, remembering that what I have been given, I have been called to give thanks to God for. I feel like I don't have much to give this season. 
I feel like I'm running low. I feel like I'm running a little bit thin. I feel like my tank has been on empty for a long time. And Jesus says, that's okay. I don't need you to fill in the gap. I don't need you to try to, 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 to go the little extra bit to make up for what's not there. I just need you to give thanks for what I have given you. I need you to trust me that I am a God who multiplies. After he satisfies and, and feeds the people, he then sends the, the disciples on their way. He said, you guys go ahead, get into the boat, we'll go ahead and, and begin going to the other side of the lake. Jesus then dismisses the crowd, and once he dismisses the crowd, he retreats to a mountainside for a time of prayer. And, and we pick up the story in verse 48. This is Jesus after he's gotten done praying. He says he, he could look out from the mountain. Verse 48 says that he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understand, they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. In the middle of the night, Jesus is praying. He goes off and he retreats, and he's spending time with the Lord, but he sends the disciples on their way. And in the middle of the night, it says from where Jesus was praying that he could look out from uh, the, mountain, uh, the, the mountainside where he was, and he saw the disciples, that they had been rowing for hours and had made very little ground. That they were rowing and rowing and rowing, and he looked out, and they hadn't made it very far across the lake. It says because the wind was just blowing at them. Right, the, the wind was blowing at them. It was creating resistance. And as Jesus looked out, he saw his disciples rowing and struggling and getting nowhere. I love this, this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says that the apostolic crew, they rowed and rowed and rowed, and it was no fault of theirs that they made no progress, for the wind was contrary unto them. The Christian man may make little or no headway, and yet it may be no fault of his own, for the wind is contrast. Our good Lord will take the will for the deed and reckon our progress, not by our apparent advance, but by the hearty intent in which we tug at the oars. It says that, that they were rowing and that they were rowing and the wind was blowing and they were making no progress. And Charles Spurgeon says, sometimes in life, the Christian man or the Christian woman, it may feel like we are working and we are pressing in and we are, are, are trying to, to progress for the kingdom of God and yet we're just not making it very far. And he says, sometimes it's not our fault. <laughs> Sometimes it might not be because there's sin in our life or we've done something wrong or we've somehow jacked it up, but that there may be just the forces of the wind against you. Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 6 that we don't battle flesh and blood, but what we're actually battling is against the rulers and against the powers and against the authorities of this dark world, meaning there is this whole spirit realm around us that as followers of Jesus is trying to pin you down and suppress you from being able to further the kingdom of Jesus. And so there are times where we row and we row and we row and we think, dang it, man, I'm not getting anywhere. Right? Like I think a lot of us, again, like we could be in seasons where it's like I'm rowing and I'm rowing and I'm making no progress and, and, it's, and it's, it doesn't seem like it's my fault. 
but there are forces around you. There is a spiritual warfare realm around us that says, I mean, if I can just pin he or she down, then I can try to suppress them from furthering the kingdom of God. If I can just pin them down, if I can create resistance, then in the pursuit of that, I might be able to tire them out and discourage them and wear them down to where they'll just give up and quit trying. And so many of us, we can step in here this morning, we're like, man, I'm just tired. I'm just worn out. Like, like man, like, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I've been given enough and being able to be fully equipped to raise my kids and I'm trying and, and the pressures of school and the pressures of, of this, the attacks on their innocence in this world. Like, I just don't feel like I have what it takes and I'm rowing and I'm tired. Like my marriage is struggling and we've been pressing in and we've been working towards restoration and, and, and we're doing all that we feel like we can, but I, it just seems like we're not making much progress and I'm tired. Right? Like, Lord, even in my time with you, I feel spent. I feel exhausted. I feel like I am pursuing you with all that I have and I'm, I'm just, the wind is just contrast to me and I'm tired and I'm discouraged and I'm worn out. And the encouragement in this story is that when Jesus looks out from the mountainside and sees them struggling, he doesn't sit up there and, and look down and think, oh, those guys. And they just never can quite figure it out. He doesn't look down at them and think, oh, man, I sent them out hours ago and they just can't do anything right. They are weak. They are, are, are just toiling. They are getting nowhere. Like, I am just so disappointed in the fact that I chose those 12. But it says, rather, what Jesus did is he looks down at his disciples struggling, and he walks out onto the water. Another one of just the miraculous wonders of God. He, he begins to walk on the water, and it says, as they see him, the disciples are freaking out. They think it's a ghost. They don't know what's going on. It says their hearts were still hardened from the loaves and the feeding the 5,000 because they just didn't understand. And back to what we said this morning, that Jesus doesn't expect you to have it figured out and be polished. And we see that, that he sees these unpolished, unperfect, trying to figure it out, uh, like going from one minute of like, Jesus, look what we've done for you, to the next minute of like, I can't do it. And then we, we find him in the struggle. And the encouragement is that Jesus walks up to him, and he, and he doesn't walk past him, but he walks up. He says, take courage. He said, it's okay. He said, relax, I'm, I'm here with you. And we see Jesus in their struggle, not walk past them, but rather he steps into the boat with them. He comforts them, and in a moment, he calms and resolves their struggle. That when the disciples were struggling, they're, they're rowing in the boat, and, and they're, they're probably trying to process, like, what the heck just happened with the feeding of the multitude, and how did that happen, and, and it just doesn't make sense to me, and now we're in this stinking boat, and we've been rowing all night, I'm tired, I'm worn out, and, and then there's this, what we think is a ghost, and the, the, it just seems like things are chaotic for them right now. And Jesus loves them, and he steps in, and he says, it's okay. He said, I'm here. And he steps into the boat with them and he calms and he resolves and he puts at ease and he puts at peace. And for us this morning, the last, uh, last point, Ben, you guys can start heading this way. Last observation is this. 
keep rowing and take courage. That in the struggle, the fear, and the confusion, Jesus loves you enough to step in and remind you, it is I, take courage, I am in control. In these three individual passages, unique, all all on their own, but we see that Jesus chooses to take these guys who didn't have it all figured out, who didn't have to come to to Jesus with, with all that they had to offer, but in humility and with a little bit of faith said, I'm willing to go. If you will send me, then, then I'm willing. And Jesus equips their faithfulness. And then they come back and they forget and they have a little bit of short-term memory loss. And, and Jesus then challenges them with an invitation again. And they're like, I can't. I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. You haven't gifted me enough. And Jesus says, if you will give me thanks for the little bit that you have. And trust me, I can multiply that. And then they go on from there, and they still don't quite understand what's going on, and they're struggling, and the kingdom of God invitation is, in the struggle, you're not alone. In your struggle, you are not by yourself. I will not leave you there, but rather I am willing, and I love you enough to step into the boat with you, that I can calm and I can resolve. In church, it does not take a religious bunch, uh, a religious group to be worthy to be used by God. But the invitation is, I, I mean, I'm willing, I am hungry, I am able, I want a piece of that pie. I want to help be the piece that helps bring heaven a little bit closer to earth. I, I, I want to experience that. And realizing it's okay, we're not going to get it right all the time, and we're going to be quick to forget, but Jesus is gracious enough to remind us of who he is in the struggle. He's patient with us when we feel like we don't have enough. And so we're going to lead into a time uh, of worship and communion now. We've got communion on the sides, but I would invite you guys, if you have never said yes to Jesus Man, use this as an opportunity where as the disciples went out and preached the message of repentance. It's not fancy. You don't have to polish yourself up before you come to him. But the invitation is, Jesus, I know the way that I have been walking is not honoring you. It has not glorified you. It it has hurt your heart as a father. And today I am choosing to walk away from that because of what you did for me on the cross because of your love for me, because of your patience with me, I want to turn around and face the other direction. And maybe we need to start there this morning. If you have been walking with the Lord, taking this time of communion in as an opportunity to sit and remember what God has done. Reflect and remember and worship him for how he has multiplied when it seemed like you had not enough. Thanking him for the times that he has stepped into your boat when you felt like you were getting nowhere. And so we want to spend this time just reflecting and worshiping. So, Father, will you move in this place even in worship now? God, I pray that you will step in. I pray that you will help us remember. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would just move into a place of repenting for all of us, followers and and non-followers of Jesus alike, that we would recognize Man, just the need to, to turn away from the things that don't honor you and, and point, our, point our direction a little bit closer to you. 
God, thank you that you don't leave us in our struggle. Thank you that you don't abandon us. Thank you that you are patient with us, Lord. Will you deepen the roots of our heart and our faith and our belief this morning? We love you, Lord. We give you this time.